Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives. We're interested in what it takes to keep everything going. This podcast is about women, working, money, and family. We consider the research, talk to experts, and share our takes on what we're learning every day about breadwinning. I'm Jennifer Owens. I write about working, wellness, and women, and founded the Working Mother Research Institute. And on most days, I'm joined by my co-host, Raquel Ellison. On this episode of The Breadwinners, I'm joined by Aliza Freud, founder and CEO of She Speaks, an influencer marketing agency founded in 2007 to amplify women's voices. Today, her network of 250,000 female influencers reaches 300 million consumers every month, and her team works with brands nationwide, all of which is to say, welcome, Aliza. Oh, thank you for having me, Jennifer. Oh, well, you've got the ear of the nation, so, you know, we got to hear what they're saying. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, dateline, breadwinners. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. I have gone off the deep end. I will swim back to shore now. (laughs) Well, so here we often like to start with a stat. And so, you know, I was thinking about, I was looking into like women-owned businesses. And so here's the stat we have that more than 11.6 million firms are owned by women. That's an awesome number. We employ nearly 9 million people. Super awesome. We generate $1.7 trillion in sales as of 2017. All good numbers. But only 4% of women-owned firms have revenues of a million dollars or more. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I would say, what does that freaking say to you? Because it says, oh, that's my business right there. You know, tiny. Yeah. Well, it says to me that women are not getting funding as much as men do, right? You know that that women are not getting funded at the rate that men, you know, male owned and started businesses do. So it's partially that. And I think also there's a little bit of this that is that, you know, women, we are so earnest and want it to want to get it right and cautious, I think, about how we do things that I think sometimes women are not necessarily seeing their businesses as big as they can be. Yeah, because they are creating these amazing businesses that, in my opinion, should easily have more than a million dollars in revenue. But maybe, you know, they just don't feel that they can confidently get there. Yeah. So I think it's a combination of the fact that, you know, women don't have access to the capital Mm -hmm. that maybe men get access to. And also just a little bit of a confidence issue that, you know, women, we are, as I said, we are so earnest and want to get it right that we, you know, we get a little bit fearful about how big can big be. So I think it's a little bit about also women getting to dream bigger. The wonderfulness of the pandemic that we're living through has been the Paycheck Protection Program, at least for me, that I applied for it. I received a chunk of cash and that chunk of cash really reset. The way I think, because before then, totally business, you know, thinking about how to make my business work and the like, but I'd never had like capital to work with. I was always eat what you kill, you know, and so it's constantly scramble, scramble, scramble. And to have a little air to say, well, now what could I do? What could I dream up with this? Mm -hmm. This podcast, you know, that like, what if I invested in myself? Yeah and do it. And you hear me talk oddly in this odd voice about it because I had written all these stories in Working Mother about show me the money, show women the money, money until 
I actually experienced what investment, even at that small amount, I didn't really get it. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. You see these VC stats where something like women-led companies get like 7% of mm-hmm. the VC funding out there. I mean, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you dream if you don't have it? Yeah. And I think that's an excellent point. I think that there's probably connection between the two things that I was talking about in terms of why there aren't more, you know, women-owned businesses that are over a million in revenue. You know, you do have to have some runway in terms of cash to feel like you can dream big, right? And since women aren't getting the funding that men are getting, uh, you know, how are you supposed to have the air to dream big? And having capital, access to capital, you know, is a really important part of that. And part of that, because it's terrifying to hire people, (laughs) I would say. So, and you have, you have an actual, you, I was mentioning to you before that uh, Maura Aaron's Mele, who I are, we love her on our podcast. We talked about her all the time. Friend of the podcast, even though she doesn't realize it, (laughs) but she talks about entrepreneur porn, you know, like, oh, it's, you know, aren't I great? I'm, it's, it's empowerment and like, what? (laughs) Yeah. And the reality is a lot of scrambling, worry, hustle, you know, and success and failure and all the things that mix into it. And so as someone who's actually created an actual company beyond solopreneur, like I am. So tell me, so how do we do it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, for me, it was always about, you know, I, before I started my company, you know, the, the, the She Speaks and, and have been doing this now since, as you said, since 2007, I only really had one other job before that. And that was in corporate America. I worked for the same company for over, you know, 10 years. And yeah. I had over time when I was there, I, I started off like really basically right out of college. But as I grew there, I built my team, right? You grow your team, you get more mm-hmm. people to work with you and you get, as you get more responsibility. And I think one of the biggest differences in, you know, when you go from being a solo contributor to having a team of people working or some people working for you is you basically have to make the transition from being a doer to an enabler, right? And oh, for me, yeah. that was the way I approached entrepreneurship that yes, while I was starting and I started my business without funding, we did end up doing what I would call a light series A Mm in 2009 and have not done funding since then. We've basically been able to build the business from that. But when I started, we did not have funding. I self-funded and I knew that maybe to start with, it was just going to be me. But my vision for it was always that I wanted to help other people get jobs and you know support their families that was a big part of my you know wanting to be an entrepreneur it wasn't just me wanting to kind of start my own thing it was also for the purpose of creating jobs so i think that was always what i had in mind which is why that was the path for me yeah and so really i think the trick about taking on those things because of course i do understand i started off by myself And it's very different when you're just responsible for yourself versus being responsible for somebody else and their family. It's really a matter of learning how do you create the business so that you have runway, 
right? I mean, that is, and it's all about cash flow. I know everybody says this. I heard it, heard it <laughs> over and over and over again from entrepreneurs, funded entrepreneurs, non-funded entrepreneurs. It's still ultimately about cash flow and you know, do you have runways? So I had to learn pretty early, how do I create enough runway for the business that I can not feel like, you know, you live with your heart in your throat. And there were certainly times over, you know, in the beginning where I did not have that figured out. It was a process. It was Mm -hmm. a painful process in, in a lot of ways. And learning you know, you learn and hopefully it doesn't take you that long to figure it out. Certainly, you hopefully get enough time that you can figure it out. And I think I did have experience, but I also think it was, there was luck involved that I was able to make it sort of to a point where I figured it out before we ran out of, of, of <laughs> runway. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> There's a Fast and the Furious movie where they attack a plane on a runway and a there's some sort of, somebody's done an estimate on how long that runway is. It's like 28 miles for all the things that happen on this airplane. <laughs> so, you know, don't be, don't be like Fast and the Furious. That, that's a fake runway. <laughs> right. You got to get up in the air before 28 miles. Right. <laughs> right. And, and you have to be realistic. And that's the thing I think that you learn is how, as you go, what you learn is to be smarter and smarter about how you are making projections mm-hmm. and what you know and what you need in order to feel comfortable and everyone can run their everyone has a different tolerance for that pain of you know how much runway do i have i figured out what my pain tolerance was and then said okay this is the amount of runway i always need and right. so but that's trial and error you have to like you don't I don't know if, if it's just me. I, I would imagine that there are, that this is kind of a similar experience for other entrepreneurs. You don't know that right out of the gate. You have to experience it. Maybe you only need to experience it once to figure it out, but you've got to experience it to really determine what you need. Right. Yeah. I was having a conversation in a business group a couple of months ago, and they were Somebody was saying, well, I really want to get to the point where I'm hiring people and this and that. And one of the coaches on the in the group said, well, now realize that that's a different business than what you have as a solopreneur, because you're going to have to up your revenues significantly mm-hmm. to cover it. And so mm-hmm. you're structuring. You can do it. It's just you're not you, you can't think incrementally at that point. You need to think like wholesale yeah. if, if you're going to bring someone in and these are why these conversations are so important because, you know, you're kind of locked in this idea of, I just need help. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. But you're really going to, if you want to get there, either you need to grow and be the, the best solopreneur that you're going to be and bring in help, you know, contractors as you need them, or you're going to become something different, which is a true company with employees and the revenue to support, you know, that it's just interesting to think it's, it's that these things are, the way you structure your business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's what I was saying before too. You need to be realistic about yeah. what it's going to take. I think I certainly, and I, I can't speak for all entrepreneurs, obviously, but I do know that there are a good number of us who are optimistic by nature. I think mm-hmm. in some ways, 
you have to feel you have to feel a certain sense of optimism to do this because there's always something that comes up and i think that sometimes can be a hard thing the other side of that is you know you really need to be incredibly thoughtful about projecting what you're going to need and if you think you're being somewhat aggressive scale up like scale back to make it more conservative because right. assume that it's going to cost you slightly more if you're hiring resources assume it's going to cost you slightly more than you think because it's not going to cost you less so <laughs> like so, renovating your kitchen right <laughs> it's always going to be more exactly right and and you're banking on people paying you on time and you need to have all that built in which gets us back to funding that now I feel like, you know, like I, I've seen the light, like that the power of funding is to, is to help you have that time to figure all that out. Right. And to invest, literally invest in yourself so that you could bring someone on board so you can make more relationships for business development because you have doers while you're dreaming and partnering. And, and it's just, and so when you starve female-owned companies of the fuel of the gas they need to drive the car. It's mm-hmm. it's it's so terrible for our, our economy. You're just hampering everyone, yeah. you know, to not be able to grow. Yes, agreed. And so it is a big part, I think, of what allows businesses to kind of get out there into the stratosphere and really accelerate. But even once you get an investment, you then still then you have you know, effectively of shareholders. So then it's a yes, matter that of- that is the other side, right? That you give up some freedom yes. in exchange for much like, you know, not just the financial freedom of if it's a loan, you have to pay that loan back or, but if you have investors, that's the other thing. You see that a lot in these male-owned companies that did get all the VC money, that they are forced mm-hmm. to scale at a rate mm-hmm. that's astronomical and not uncommonly destroys their company. Yeah. <laughs> So there is the power of bootstrapping. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you can, it's great. If you can bootstrap and get the growth that you want, it's an awesome way to go. There are definitely pros and cons to different routes. And that's why I think it's a very personal decision for the entrepreneur, which route they decide to go. I can see, I mean, I I obviously know a lot of people who've taken VC and for them, it could be absolutely the right decision, but you, like anything, you have to go into it with your eyes open and know what you're taking on and you know what that what it's going to mean for your business, what it's going to mean for your share of mind. I think that's yeah. a big part of it. I think a lot about what I call share of mind and what am I spending my time thinking about and worrying about? And I prioritize what is it that I want to be worrying about because you're going to worry about something, right? That's how, that's, that's just the way it works. Right. So you have to be really thoughtful about, uh, as I said, the share of mind, how, how am I going to spend my emotional energy, my time, all of that. Well, and then meanwhile, there was a pandemic. I don't know if you heard. So, (laughs) Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, in my world, it, you know, the especially, you know, first quarter, we were still billing the first quarter. So, you know, we kind of slid. You weren't quite sure what it was. The middle of, you know, summer was pretty dang slow and it came to clients and billing. And and now we're coming back. And I don't know. It's it's hard. I, we're now we're in a new year. What does business look like? Like, what do you what are you thinking about? What 
momentum, with revenue, with clients? What's the chitter chatter out there? <laughs> Help me. <laughs> you know, it's a great question. And I think that again, with the types of businesses we work with, and we tend to work with very large corporations mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, we do, we do, we work on campaigns and marketing, influencer marketing for, you know, very large brands. So I can only speak, you know, from that perspective of those are the types of businesses that we're working with. Yeah. I think by and large, what happened was they had, you know, a lot of these businesses have very strong fundamentals in terms of how they're doing, but COVID hit and everybody pulled back, right? Because yeah. nobody, it was here, right? And, you know, there was, I think, a period of time where people were pulling back. And then I think start what started to happen was people were start, are now starting to see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel mm. and there is more spending going on. Or maybe people got to the end of the year and they were like, wait a second, you know, you probably know this, but a lot of the way a lot of corporations work, if you don't spend your budget, you lose it in terms of the the new year. So we used to say in in my old company, you know, use it or lose it. So if you don't, if you don't spend that money the following year, when you go to justify the budget that you're asking for, they say, well, why didn't you spend this? You didn't need this much. You didn't need it. Right. So, I mean, I know this is is a different year, but I think what happened was we got to the end of the year with certain clients and they were like, wait a second, we've got extra budget, which is not a terrible place for them to be. I do think that things are starting to open up in terms of spending. A lot of it, though, will depend on how the economy does moving into the next year, at least for us. Yeah, right. You know, the how the macro economy does play a role in business spending in the businesses we work with in their spending. Right, especially with consumer spending. Yeah. You know, they want to get the consumers to spend. You know, you guys really are the the like the leading edge of the first canary in the coal mine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, we definitely were seeing that things seem to be opening up, but well, but I think it, there's a a little bit of, you know, caution going into it to see how the economy right. is going to do in the new year. It's, it really is, you know, it constantly like, like just kind of waiting for the next, you know, terrible economic thing to happen. But the weird thing is that the stock market has done great, but the job losses are terrible. Yeah. But the stimulus is here. It, it just, it's just such, it's hard to talk about a foggy outlook. Oh my goodness. Right. <laughs> exactly. And that those things don't necessarily, just because the stock market's doing well does not mean that the economy is doing well. Those things don't necessarily go hand in hand. So obviously yeah. not. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, exactly. as, you know, I used to have to cover the, uh, I used to have to write about the consumer price index mm-hmm. and the producer price index for like warehouse stuff, the wholesale numbers. And I just think, oh my goodness, I feel for these economics reporters that have to <laughs> write about these economic stories every month. Like, I, what does it all mean? We don't know. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, it's like forecasting the weather, right? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, now I, I had a wonderful editor when I was at Women's Wear Daily and I was constantly doing, you know, like I'd, I'd interview six economists and, you know, they five of them would say, oh, it's going to be a bad mm-hmm. whatever quarter. Yeah. And then one would say it'd be good. And yeah. I'd, I'd cover all of them. And my boss would say, Jennifer, <laughs> what is the answer? You know, and I'd say, I don't know. That's what they said. And now I realize, you know, I should have, you know, five to one. I think the five, we have to go. 
But at the time, I didn't know how to like edit myself. I just, everybody goes in the story. Yeah. But yeah, every quarter, Jennifer. <laughs> Great. I was too young to be com- covering the economy at that point. I think that's what the the moral of that story is right there. <laughs> <laughs> now I have a much different view of the economy than I did back then as a single person working for an, a corporation, you know? That's right. That's the thing about experience, right? So, you know, with time comes that experience and you yeah. take on a different perspective. For sure. Well, and so where does She Speaks go? I mean, do you have you know, what's the world? What's the horizon for She Speaks? Well, we're lucky in the sense that we have some wind at our back when it comes to the industry that we're in. So we influencer marketing has grown significantly over the last couple of years. This year, it's projected to have now a $10 billion of spend. That's up probably from $5 billion just a year and a half ago. So it's wow. growing very quickly. Yeah. It has become something that I think is now part of people's marketing mix. It Mm -hmm. is a channel like a lot of other, like, you know, there's, you think about your, you know, what you have in your marketing budget and you have direct marketing um, opportunities. You, people, you know, spend their money doing different things. You have, you know, advertising that you spend your money on. And I think that influencer marketing is becoming one of the channels that, people have just started to realize should be in their marketing mix. So yeah. from that perspective, I think the good news is that, you know, you're, we're not swimming upstream. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I say that to make the case for it. Totally. Well, get, and, yep. and there was a time when we started, yep. nobody knew what influencer marketing was. We mm-hmm. were talking about influencers and they were like, what, what is that? <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? So at least, you know, from that perspective, you know, we don't have people saying, what is that? What is it? Yeah. That obviously is, is helpful when you're trying to, you know, talk to people about, about what you do. The other thing that I think for us has been good about the time we're in right now is that there is, I think, a pretty strong recognition that women are a force to be reckoned with as consumers, right? We make over 85% of the purchase decisions in this country. And that's a trillion dollars of spending. I mean, there it's not small potatoes. It's a right. lot. And I think that there is an increasing recognition that female consumers are important. Right. So those are the positives. What happens, though, as you might imagine, when an industry is growing and there's recognition and, you know, for all intents and purposes, I think that the influencer marketing world has become a sexy space <laughs> where people, yes. you know, people yeah. want to be in it. So with that comes competition, increased competition. Mm-hmm. So that is, I think, the thing that is inevitable. And then it's a matter of, you know, as a business, how do you ensure that you are remaining competitive and you're evolving and you're innovating? And I have to say that for me is the fun stuff. I love yeah. that. I okay. love that challenge of knowing that there's going to be innovation and looking and figuring out what's next. For me, the what's next is the best part of of anything, of anything that we get to do. So it's a challenge, certainly, that there's more competition in our space. But I think what that breeds is innovation. And the innovation is the part I love. So I would say what's next for us is we are going to continue to just make sure that our process, how we do things, 
the platforms that we're on, the people, the influencers that we work with, we continue to make that better and better and, you know, provide expertise in this space. And that's, you know, that's, I guess, what everyone hopes that they can do in their business. That's awesome. Well, thank you for joining us on The Breadwinners. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Our guest today was Elisa Freud of She Speaks, and you will find links to She Speaks and kind of the stats we were talking about today in the episode description. Email us anytime at thebreadwinnerspod at gmail.com or visit us at thebreadwinnerspodcast.com. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review it. It really helps us grow. And until next week, keep hustling. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.